Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Ryan, and welcome to the uh, Human Side of Business podcast. How are you doing today? Doing good. Nice to see you. Yes, likewise. So Ryan, tell us about yourself, um, your position at Alive, and a little bit about the company. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm excited to have a chat with you about this. Uh, I'm president uh, or CEO and group publisher of Alive Publishing Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, been doing that for 17 years. It's been a full circle journey, which is uh, which is a fun thing to chat about. But I started uh, at Alive Publishing Group as the uh, as the president uh, around 17 years ago, and uh, there was a parent company, Talbot Media Group, at that time. So after three years, I earned the opportunity to kind of step up into the parent organization and end up running the uh, the entire group. Mm-hmm. which was much more sizable and um, went through lots of ups and downs and, and lots of things I can share with you from experience at that point of uh, divesting from business units to to acquiring companies, uh, mm-hmm. international, US, et cetera. Uh, but ultimately, two and a half years ago, uh, I split apart the the parent company, Teldon and uh, and Alive, the business I sit in today, and we sold both companies and uh, and I became an employee again. Of just alive, <laughs> not just, but just alive. Uh, about two and a half years ago, so I'm full circle back with you know 35 employees and uh, kind of the largest, but not very large, big fish, small pond, uh, natural health and wellness publisher in the world. That's phenomenal, Brian. Mm-hmm. And if if I recall correctly, you're on um, on the West Coast, so you're out of BC, correct? I am, and uh, and I didn't tag to it, but uh, personal passions, very very passionate about. Uh, um, some sports. So I spent a lot of time over my skis mm-hmm. and on a mountain bike and, uh, and very much, a um, my passion, my artistic passion is, uh, is cookery is, is chefing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I'm a part of a group called YPO, so young president's organization. And, uh, and I yep. just actually finished as the, as the chair of, uh, YPO for the, for the province of British Columbia. So, um, uh, which is peer development, leadership, right. learning, transparency, friendship. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's phenomenal. And yeah. so I, I'd love to dive in a little bit further. So you talked about divesting, uh, merging acquisitions, winding down, winding up businesses. Tell us more about your leadership learning experiences throughout those environments. Yeah, and that's great. And I, and I was excited to join the the podcast all the way through and chat with you because I feel like it's actually something I can add a little value to. Um, we were joking a, a second just before we were we were jumping online, but you know, I started a long time ago. I was a young guy, and um, from a leadership perspective, you know, one of the things I realized is that you the and one of my coin lines is that you, you can't fake experience. Mm. So, you know, when I was first jumping into the role, I could have energy, I could have vitality, I could have leadership skills, but I'd never been through a recession. I'd never led change. I never acquired a company. I'd never done any of these things. So, mm. you know, first acknowledging that was a was a big point of personal growth for me was just accepting the fact that 
Um, I didn't bring that experience. So how was I going to surround myself and gain that experience, you mm-hmm. know, with having, you know, peers and leadership around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, just being comfortable with the fact that I could ask questions and say, I've never done this before. So, um, so when I opened myself up to being vulnerable, you know, in those positions, and that's what I had went ahead and did, I, I hired for experience. You know, I rounded out uh, my vice president was a was a mentor and and actually teacher of mine when I went through um, university, Pratch, mm-hmm. and he became my vice president. And he had you know the most experience of anybody I knew, and um, and had so much wisdom that he could share with me through um, a lot of the early stages and journeys. And then at the same time, you know, what I was able to focus on was what I was good at, which was just you know my transparency and my connections with people, which mm-hmm. was really staff, staff and customers, I suppose too. But um, so with a staff, I was just able to connect with them on a personal level, see what made them tick. And, and when I was able to do that, I found that um, certainly on the companies I was currently leading, you know, pre-acquisition, um, I was able to get more out of the employees than they'd maybe been able to give in the past. They were they were becoming better versions of their work self. Mm. Uh, and I hope personal self mm. um, seen in the past. So we're getting more out of the same people. They had this, all this talent that wasn't being utilized because maybe it wasn't identified before the opportunities in the environment wasn't around it. So um there's a there's a lot there. I just want to jump in for a second. Yeah. So so <laughs> stepping back a little bit, you had identified early on that you were able to really go inward and identify your strengths and areas of growth. And therefore it's, you were able to hire for your weaknesses and you were vulnerable about the same. Th- that takes a bit of a bit of self-reflection and cause and effect, Ryan, in the sense of being able to do this in a two-pronged step. So one, what's going on with me internally? And then two, how do I communicate that and exhibit that to my team members so that there's actually validity behind what I'm saying versus discredit? So so what was your approach to that? Like, how did you go, go about it? Yeah, super interesting. So, I mean... Um... It's not easy. And and for me, it probably came easier. I don't know why. Like, it's just, you know, we just kind of, you know, however it was born. Um, nature, nurture, I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> um, but for certain, I think the skill is, you know, I, I would say relentlessly self-aware. Right. You know, so right. I like to, you know, be able to think that I can walk out of here and say, listen, you, you might not like it. I might not like it, but I'm this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, then I can at least say, well, I want to change that or I don't want to change that. But at mm. least know that it's actually there. Mm. I think blind spots in leadership are one of the hardest things is, is not being able to step back and say, how are others viewing me? How am I, you know, what's my approach like here? Right. And um, so I think that relentless self-awareness, I don't know how it's taught. I think that's why there's people like you out there who can help us find <laughs> those sorts of things. Right. But when you're aware of, you know, your blind spots and accept them or work to change them. Right. Uh, it really, really helps because I'm a, a, I mean, these are such buzzwords when I, when I say things like um, transparency and, and authenticity, but I really believe in them from a leadership perspective. I think it's the modern world. Like, I don't think leaders mm. infallible and, and more knowledgeable than everybody else. I think it's such an old school approach to leadership. I think yeah. leadership now is, um, you know, I always say for a long time, I've been saying, you know, I'm the chief janitor. I basically, I believe my job is to clean up the messes nobody else knows how to clean up. Mm-hmm. So if you feel comfortable coming in and being like, I have this mess, financial, I don't know how to do this. You know, literally, there's a mouse in the office. Who do I call? <laughs> you know, you never know what you're going to get. But right. if we can clear away the path for everybody with talent to go do it, I'd like to be the least talented person in the organization and leading an organization with an insane amount of talent 
that just doesn't know how to necessarily take it to market or work with a peer or voice their their abilities or their ideas. And so trying to create pathways for individual success is, mm. is mm. but I think it starts with if you're not clear and transparent at the very beginning with your with your team. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a very, very different thing. 100 percent And 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 I enjoy your your sarcasm and self-deprecation, Ryan, but I, I would debate you because I really think it's a talent to be able to go within and be like, hey, I want to hire smarter people than me to do something bigger than myself. Because that's what I'm hearing, right? Like most times or most often it it leans back into more of what you had said earlier, that that older quote unquote. Um, or more the art, uh, theoretical leadership styles in the sense of I have care and control and this is my leadership style versus you being able to say, well, hold on here. Like, no, there's there's leadership styles, but it's how you use them. It's how you mm-hmm. tailor yourself to them based on the environments and the context and the people, um, which I think is is super powerful. The other thing that you said in there earlier, Ryan, was I was able to to really understand my employees or my team members and get things out of them that didn't necessarily happen in past. Mm-hmm. What would you advise other leaders as to the approach and in, in how to do that? You know, it's interesting because when we were first chatting there, I was like, wow, that first, you know, that whole first dialogue is, you know, riddled with um, cliche terms and and not a lot of meat in terms of, yeah, it's, it all sounds so easy when you say it. And then how do you actually do it? And I was trying mm-hmm. to think of like, what are some of those tangible things, um, you know, at risk of, um, of you uh, telling me I'm wrong, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, cause again, I'm a little bit unorthodox on this. So, so, you know, maybe I do hit it on the head, but you know, I make it real authentic, authentic again, but truthful a real authentic effort to know all of my employees, mm-hmm. like really know them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, know them, not see, you know, see them. So, right. you know, who are their husbands, who are their wives, you know, what are their kids' names? What drives them? What's their current situation? So when they say, I need a little bit of time to go home or they're just not in the office or, or they're in late and and all of this can be okay. And mm-hmm. none of it even has to be questioned because you actually have, a, you know, some degree of, knowledge of who they are as a person, not who they are as an employee. Right. And, right. Um, so I'm, I I really think that investment is so important. So mm-hmm. for us, that means as an organization, we, we are disproportionately social um, with one another. We bring in food trucks for lunch, um, not as a reward, but selfishly. So I can see how everybody interacts and what they eat and, 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 and when they start laughing and, and what makes them laugh and, <laughs> You know, and really getting to know them. So, so those are things, and we do all sorts of stuff like that. And we can always chat about some of the techniques that we've done really well. We do, yeah, um, a scholarship program um, for all of the employees, um, uh, you know, families, extended mm-hmm. families, so like even like nieces, nephews, that kind of thing. Amazing. Uh, from zero to eighteen years old, we do it once a year. We've been doing it for like six years. It doesn't cost a lot. We probably do six thousand dollars in scholarships a year, mm-hmm. and you know, we get. 75 applications from these kids for their scholarships and then we have an awards night and we present all the awards and when you do this i mean by the time we're done in our small little office we've got like 125 people in here grandmas Mm -hmm. grandpas aunts uncles nieces nephews children wives husbands and i mean i think that's how that's how you really drive a family right feeling inside that business and a commitment and a trust and an understanding and um that allows the foundations to 
for all of us to be the best we can be. Mm, definitely. Definitely. I don't think there's anything to correct there, Ryan. <laughs> okay, good. I hate, I hate work-life balance. I hate the term. I do too. It drives me absolutely nuts. I hate everything about why. it. It's, there's no balance. There's never going to be balance. It, it well, doesn't... no, and I find it so combative and yin and yang and, mm. and, and, and it, and I absolutely hate it. So like I rail against this, like if somebody, I will talk to them at great length when somebody is like, I'm having a hard time, you know, with work-life balance, or I need to get out of here so I can go home. And I'm like, if this is how you feel, then it immediately denotes to me that there is this work is bad. Home is good. Right. You know? You know, I understand you. Work is good. Life is is fun or, you know, it, it funner. Or vice versa, and, wherever and people are at. Yep. So we spend a ton of time saying, how do we actually merge all of this? What about if I actually just said, you have to work eight hours a day? And I'm a huge believer in being in the office. Um, so that's my criterion of you. But, you know, you can work eight hours a day and I don't care where or when. Mm-hmm. Like, just do your job better than you did it yesterday. Mm-hmm. And what about if then if it was just like, you know, work's not bad. You can come in here. And if you need to whip out and go do that and, and your headspace is with your kids that day, then don't come in. Why would you be at work being like, man, I don't want to be at work. I should be at home with my sick child. Like go home with your sick child. Like totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, when they're feeling better, just make sure you work Saturday and, and, and do it like naturally, like just right. actually find a natural cadence where everything is good and, and you love what you do. And so, you know, how does that affect me? Like I'm working, you know, 16 hour days, seven days a week. <clears throat> but I don't think my kids would ever look at me and say that I'm working because mm. I'll put my phone down and I'll smile at them. Like, it's not like I'm like, stop, I have to get this done. I'm focused right. on the laptop. Therefore I'm not part of your life. Right. It's not like that at all. It's just like, they're seeing me with a smile on leading chatting, you know, they're, they're hearing me have a business call in the car, you know, while they're hanging out and, and we just blend that all together. And I think they see this like fulfillment and happiness and they'd have a hard time ever separating me from work or from personal. Mm. And anyways, I go off a little bit on that, but I, I think it's such an important thing nowadays. If we can find a place of, you know, cadence where um, work is such a joy that it, it it is personal. Right. Right. I What comes up for me is work-life integration. And, mm. and, and I subscribe to a lot of what you're saying, aside from the fact of, in some circumstances, two things come up for me. What drives me crazy is when people in positions of power talk about their employees like their family to create that psychological contract, but they don't treat them like family, right? Mm. What what you're subscribing to or what I'm hearing you is that you have a community and it feels family orientated. Like there is authenticity in, in what you're saying, Ryan, which is absolutely amazing, the other piece that comes up for me is work-life integration. Yes. However, when you see your team members are struggling in the perspective of, because oftentimes team members come into the workplace that they're not going to be like, I'm going to do a shit job for Ryan today. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, I want to do the best job ever. And I don't know how to do it. So I'm going to stress myself out until I get there. So I feel as leaders, the onus is on us to be able to help mentor, not manage the work-life integration pieces. Mm -hmm. And so that when you really know your people and what motivates them, for some people, they really do need that black and white work is work, personal is personal. And I need that divide or I can't shut off and it stresses me out. If that's their persona, then it's leaning into them to help mentor so that it fits still with from a a culture or company fit. 
right? Yeah, and it's interesting. And I think that if you, I would say that, you know, and through both um, many um, personality, you know, acumen tests, et cetera, on myself, the the risk of actually this on from a leadership perspective mm. is mine is so authentic to a core that um, I can be taken advantage of. That, sure. that's, the, that's the risk side of this is actually I'm, I'm the one who's mm-hmm. going, I trust you. I'll build this for you. I'll do whatever. And then I'm hurt when they don't treat me the same way back. 100%. They don't trust me the same way I've trusted them or, or they take advantage of me, big one. And so I'm prone to being taken advantage of. Mm, but <laughs> and, I mean, and I'm okay with that. Again, this is a bit that, that almost goes full circle to the self-awareness of going, I'm aware that's my style. Right. I'm aware that I've had experts tell me, you know, be careful on this because the flip side is, you know, you can be disappointed and this can be hurtful because you open yourself up and maybe even you share too much about your personal and your family and, and they actually don't need that or want that. Mm. And But at least when I march out, I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm like, listen, this is this is a side effect of this style of leadership is that, um, you know, there's there's pros and cons to, to all of them. And I'm willing to take this con and this risk for I don't know, the abundance it brings me by giving, you know, that I get to take back from mm, helping mm, people be their best selves. Mm. From a mindset perspective, I I hear you. I dub those as, well, I can't even own this, a pass or a coaching client of mine dubs it as jellyfish stings, right? Mm. So it, it's when we're dealing with emotions that do not necessarily feel, fill our cup, i.e. feeling taken advantage of. Mm. As leaders, what if we looked at it from a perspective of it's not a con or a a negative thing that I just have to absorb because of my leadership style, but rather I understand that people aren't the same as me and how they act isn't towards me. It's just how they are currently in their life. That could be a good thing, a bad thing, an indifferent thing, but that my job as a leader is to be able to... um, what I say, ride the waves of those jellyfish stings of emotions through that feeling of being taken advantage of onto what can I learn from this? So, right. So, so it's not, it's not, it's not exactly a cause and effect. It's contextual in the sense of, okay, well, in the future, when I see these things happen again, maybe I get a little bit more curious first before this happens. Right. So, so I guess what I'm saying is from a leadership perspective, I feel like there's a lot of unlearning in the sense of letting go of expectations and and the emotions that are associated with the same. Yeah, and me and building that resilience. I mean, so Very I, much. I agree with everything you said, and I've gone through lots of therapy to get there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it, it's uh, certainly I will build more and more of that. Of course, uh, for certain individuals, it's going to be hard to open up and. And take a style like mine. That's actually going to be hard, and it'll be really mm. easy for them to, to manage the, um, you know, those letdowns. Mm-hmm. They're already more well equipped on that side of things. On my side, you know, it's taken me longer. It was like natural to go out there and be open, but longer to build the resilience to say, actually, it's not personal. It actually has nothing even to do with I me. Hate you. I actually even make this about me when it's about them. I actually didn't lead them. This isn't the, this isn't their happy spot. This is uncomfortable for them. They actually want nine to five, and and if mm-hmm. I really care about them, you know. So so moving through that, I think you're absolutely right. It's just you know inherently, you know, I have to look in the mirror every morning and be like, people like me. It's going to be great. You're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
those positive self-affirmations. They really I mean, do I work. For sure, I've for sure gotten tougher now. I mean, there's no mm. doubt about it. And, mm. you know, you take it, you take a few bumps and, and you start to become a little more resilient and, and a lot more understanding. And that's, you know, that's that experience I didn't have 17 years ago that now I do. When you 100%. You know, yeah. Well, probably, I mean, I don't know, in the 17 years, it'd be crazy, but through acquisitions and through, you know, natural attrition and hiring, you know, I've probably met 400 people. Lara, we probably onboarded 400 people. And mm-hmm. I've offboarded probably 400 people, you know, ironically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and each of those is those key learning moments. Right. I right. mean, every before the start, every single employee. Last, The last meeting is with me, and um, I'm certain that it's terrifying for most of them. Um, not that I'm particularly terrifying, but it's terrifying because the last meeting is uh, the CEO wants to meet you and he wants to just chat. So we have coffee. I don't have mm-hmm. some one interview. By the time they're meeting with me, they are very clear. The only thing I'm interviewing for is a fit. Right. Right. That's it. Like, I, I don't right. even know one questionable competency, nothing. I'm like, tell me about yourself. That's it. And, you know, what have you like, learned from that question? Um, that's great. Uh, well, I've learned to trust my gut more probably. I would say, you know, be very interesting by the time they land on my, in my seat, um, or in my office, it would be unusual for me to overrule HR, hiring manager, everybody. Mm. And say, yeah, no, actually, I, I did not have a good vibe there. Because mm. um, I really want to support the process as well. And, you know, and I'm also telling them by the time they get to my office, like, you better make sure that they're good, like, that they're going <laughs> to, you know, like, it's supposed to be like a fade complete. Like, it's just like a nice thing. Like, you know, have a coffee with the CEO. And, but honestly, I wish I trusted my gut more. Mm. Like amazing how much that just that half an hour, I probably have regretted not enough actually pushing back on HR and hiring manager and saying, you know what, like, again, no questions about competency, et cetera, but I just think this is doomed to fail. They're just, they're not going to vibe well with you. And, you know, interestingly, sorry, I go off as, as, you know, I explore Mm. that myself, but, you know, one of the biggest things I think I find out in that is actually, are they going to work with their, their, like the hiring manager? Mm. Mm. Almost like a blind date. You're like you're sitting there, and you're like, I don't know. I'm the dad, and this is like, man, I, I'm like I don't approve. This is going to be a sad marriage. This is not going to work. This is not going to work. Well, it's, I mean, you're not entirely wrong. Like you know, coming out of the the comic relief there, Ryan, we spend like over eighty percent of our lives working, right? Right. So it's really important to have manager and team member fit. It's important to have fit past the management team. It's important to have fit with the culture. And so I I think that you are taking a position, Ryan, of, you know, utmost responsibility in helping with that process to make sure that it is the right fit. For sure. And, you know, that's, you you made a really nice segue there for me, but, you know, I can't help it. And I actually, I don't think this is a, it's not one of my super strong outward mentality that I would like to share all the time. It's just in, inherently who I am. I can't change it. I I'm a, I played a lot of sports as a kid and I'm very, I view business and teams very often. I have to relate it to sport. It's just, again, it's what I know. And, and mm-hmm. I so I don't love necessarily, it's a bit of a combative kind of thing, sport. And um, like, I loathe like leaders who talk like war mentality, you know, let's attack the field. And they're like, you're like, Oh, it's just, it really makes me cringe. So I don't even <laughs> necessarily love this element of it. But the segue for that though, is that I spend a tremendous amount of my time and we didn't talk about this in advance. So the tremendous amount of my time, okay. is actually about, it's actually about the team dynamic. It's not about the individual. Tell me and more. So, 
And that comes from like my coaching, my playing. And then the, the analogies that follow are the ones that I hate that, you know, they're two team, you know, they're two sport related, but you know, I could have a hockey team full of superstars and they're a horrible hockey team. Mm. And you can have a hockey team that vibes really, really well. And everybody knows their position and they work tremendously well together and they're a way better hockey team. Mm-hmm. And 100% that translates to the office. And and I don't think that that's an ick thing. I, I think that most people that are listening to the podcast right now, if we can antiquate sports to leadership, they would actually learn more. Mm. People understand sports, right? Well, and that's, I say I'm a simple man. I'm a simple, simple man. <laughs> and I understand that. So then it's a way that really makes sense for me because right. you know I think a lot of us would default to going out and being like, I'm going to hire the best person for that job. And then you go separately. Two months later, I'm going to hire the best person for that job. I'm going to hire the best IT manager. I'm going to hire the best HR manager. I'm going to hire the best accountant mm-hmm. that you can find. It's kind of logical. It kind of it's kind of like how the process is built. It's 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 expected. It's expected. Right. And then right. All of a sudden, you end up with the best in everything, and you go. None of these people want to work together. None of them are collaborative. They all have different interests, and the, and this whole thing's breaking down. And and if right at the very beginning, you go out and you go, actually, I need somebody who's going to be totally okay with the fact that the person they're going to be working beside is a super strong, powerful woman. Mm -hmm. Not the best accountant. Mm -hmm. An accountant is going to be totally comfortable working in that seat with this incredibly talented individual who might be threatening and da-da-da-da. So they've got to be super self-assured or they've got to be whatever. And then i got to be okay with this sales coordinator who is going to be okay with somebody who's extremely short communicator. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're mm-hmm. like, they're like, that doesn't drive me. It doesn't bother me at all. Actually. I have thick skin. They're actually, they don't take it personally. That's just their communication style. And I think every leader has the ability to really step back. And as soon as they hear and listen that and realize that that's the role, and I suppose HR, which you have a lot to say in that, but reminding maybe the leader as well, but you're, you're not, you're not hiring the most skilled person you're mm-hmm. hiring you're hiring the best person for that job definitely definitely and it one thing that i cringe is when i hear the word soft skills because there's nothing soft about human skills like mm-hmm. their core competencies or it, it's the 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 larger pieces that we look to hire as you're identifying with and also offboard or fire um nine times out of ten you know, I haven't had managers that have come to me and said, hey, you know, Johnny just doesn't get it. He's not competent, albeit it happens. But 90% of the time, if I was involved with a termination, it had to do with their human or their core skills. You know, I think, you, I think it's one of the most factual. If we needed to measure everything that you and I have been talking about, I would even go probably go on a higher percentage. Of the 400 people I probably had to transition at some point out of the, you know, in 17 years, it sounds like a lot, but it's not, you know, I, I would go 95 to 99% have been let go because of I, either because we had no choice, like, like economic conditions. I didn't right. want to let them go. Like I either didn't want to let them go or it was fit in personality. Mm-hmm. It wasn't skill like I have a really really hard time trying to remember one person where I let them go where I was like you know you actually just can't do this job you're incompetent at this job <laughs> I'm laughing at the way that you they, said they not had a what great you said. attitude great right. attitude but they're incompetent like I cannot I have a hard time thinking of one that's fair I let somebody go with a great attitude 
but they literally just did not have the skills to get it done. Because like so often we can build through those skills if you have a great mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And and what you're really pointing to is is those other quadrants. So it's like, you know, what are the team dynamics within your organization having high levels of self-awareness and being able to hire so that when we talk about fit, what we're really saying is, do we have adaptive communicators? Do we have people that, you know, organically have higher levels of self-confidence? If not, can they work on that? Um, you know, do they have higher levels of empathy or self-compassion? Can they work on that? You know, are they able to um, be a problem solver and analytical? We think that that's a core skill or a technique, but in actuality, you're leaning into things like cause and effect from an EIQ perspective. So so organically, what you're picking up on are all these different quadrants, because we have seven of them, I think, if I remember correctly, that really identify quote unquote water fit. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, how are you as a spiritual person? How are you from a resilient perspective? How are you from grit? How are you from an EIQ perspective? And then IQ comes into play as well. Um, and, and I think those are amazing things to really focus in on. You had said something earlier too, in the green room, when you were talking about growth, it was, you strongly felt that it was the and, and I'm just kind of surmising a trend here, Ryan, but you had felt that it's a leader's responsibility to build the bandwidth when it comes to your team members in the sense of their capacity before you scale. Mm-hmm. I, I want to hear more about that. I'm really intrigued by that thought yeah, process. So just, yeah. So through my experience, so, so that's now a realization. Mm. You know, this was in like, I wasn't armed with this. I didn't read this in a book and then, you know, implement it and then I've implemented it now successfully ish, um, probably in the process as well of really um, realizing it, um, you know, through doing it wrong before, mm. you know, before. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, my, just my, my experience, you know, I don't have the experience in a high growth company. I've always run a profitable, diligent business that, you know, would grow 5% a year. Right. And, and we would, so to, to get bigger growth, we'd acquire. Right. And then. You know, that so that started to become a core competency because I've done it, you know, maybe a dozen times type thing. Right. And so, you know, it just became who I am. And somebody else, you know, I've got lots of friends who are in, you know, high growth. They invest for growth or, you know, they lose money. They grow 35% a year or 3,000 or 300. And so it's a little bit of a different thing. But my experience on that acquisition has been, you know, I've learned um, when you acquire, it's really hard to merge cultures together. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost impossible to merge mm-hmm. cultures. Yes. Uh, you can emer- you can merge objectives and you can even merge teams, but merging cultures is is a long, long process because basically, you know, I'm a firm believer that the values and the culture um, are lived, they're behaved, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not taught. Mm-hmm. So you know, we can plant a stake in the ground, but it's way out. And then people might start to, um, you know, coalesce towards those goals and the cultures might start to move closer together, but it's only as how fast that they're naturally going to move towards those. So, so that's a, that's a first mistake. And then the second one is, you know, inherently, um, I've acknowledged the fact that when we acquire a company, um, it's going to be different than the one that you've been leading for a long time. Like you're not going to walk in and have, you know, if, if there's 50 employees in the company that's acquired, all 50 are not going to want to work for you. Mm, they're just not, it's impossible that you're going to come in and they're going to be like this guy's amazing I, I i totally buy into this leadership and this accountability and this new style because you know you're buying a business you're going to it's going to be different than what it was before mm. and so therefore there's usually more um 
more turnover than you'd think mm-hmm. um, or want to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to buy this business. It's going to have great established leadership. They're going to be totally great. And it doesn't work out that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's extremely unusual to walk in and expect that, you know, one person's styles is going to marry with an entire organization's styles. Right. Um, and so therefore, um, you need leadership capacity to, to, you know, realize. So you make this investment in this new company and then you go, holy smokes, I'm bound by the leadership there that's not on board. Mm-hmm. Um, voluntarily or involuntarily, and it's totally okay. Mm. Uh, but then that slows everything down. So now I've learned to, you know, pre-acquisition have bandwidth with my trusted leaders who I know who can go in and I can trust to embrace the, you know, take the ball and run with it. Right. Uh, so they're ready to go. They're like, put me in coach. I'm ready to go. And I have that. So before they had the skill, but they didn't have the capacity. You know, mm. I was running it. You know, they had a full-time job and then all of a sudden I'm like, I need your help. And then where do you put them? And then if you take them off your current business, the business starts to falter. You put them onto the new, you don't put them on the new business, it falters. Mm. So um, investing for that growth is, um, I guess, full circle to where we're talking about high growth companies that have to invest. It's the same in acquisition. You you, you need to pre-acquisition, you know, build your organization to be able to to manage that. Yeah. And so when you're when you're speaking to build your organization, what I'm hearing is, you know, investing in your team members from a skill set perspective. Yeah, skill, skill and capacity as well. Right. Right. Like, like understanding they need a little buffer. Mm-hmm. They need a little buffer. So they, you know, we can invest. And I think that skill investment is something I'm getting better and better at. So so you know, helping them to continue to be like, I actually want them to work themselves out of a job now. That's right. great. Like actually get to a spot where you're like, you know. I can do a lot more coach um, mm. sports analogies. Um, I can do a lot, <laughs> more, you know, like, like I'm ready to go. I can play more minutes. Like, like I, I got this, my team, I've got, you know, Sally, who's taken over half of my job because I've invested in her skills mm. and I'm ready for more, mm-hmm. you know, let's go. Um, mm-hmm. So skills and capacity, I think are the two that are, are critical. Right. And in, in your experience as learning through these motions, when you're looking to scale your organization, like what skills and capacity specifically do you look at now that you've had the the previous, I guess, tenure under your belt? Yeah, super, super great question. So I said one, um, and it's it is you know, you, and then you said something which is soft skills, and as a swear word, um, which I agree <laughs> with. But I said trust, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And and I I don't trust anybody when I go into a new company because mm-hmm. I, I trust is based off of experience. They're shared experiences. That's how you build trust. So Fair. you can't just immediately go in and be like hundred percent. You can be like I trust you. Like sure you can, but you don't really like you, like until you you have mutual trust. It takes time and experiences together. Mm-hmm. So so for me to you know trust for me is is having a leader who I know will come to me and say I I don't I we're in big trouble. You know, or I don't know how to do this, or I'm really concerned about this part of the company, or there's not enough money in the bank. We're going to run out of money soon. You know, so scary conversations with high mm-hmm. degrees of confidence, I think, mm-hmm. is the is the beneficiary of a trusting relationship. So, um, and that is a massive skill that one mm-hmm. has to, is the confidence to and to have the trust with with each other. Mm-hmm, definitely. Kind of go off on a, on a tangent there, but it is by far the most important thing for me. Is actually, it is so often with people they have the skill, 
you know, they just don't put their hand up to say, you know, I think the train's going in the wrong direction. Like, or mm. I think you're on the wrong plane. We're going to Calgary. I think you want to go to Edmonton. You know, like they're, <laughs> I cannot say this. And you're going, please, I'm actually hiring you to say this, this is what we want you to do. And right. um, so I think that's a, that's a big one. And then um, having a alignment for me, having an alignment on leadership. So when I bring in capacity, I want them to um, exhibit the type of behaviors we want all the employees to have. Mm-hmm. So it's just pop down. It's like, you know, um, doctor, heal thyself. You know, it's, you, you, we have to, if we want them to be vulnerable and honest, then we should be vulnerable and honest. And, and so right. very consistent leadership. So my style um, uh, mirrors my leader's styles as well. So at that top level, we all kind of walk and talk the same values. And I think it's necessary. I really do because and and I agree with what you had said a while back, Ryan, in the sense that you can't tell an organization what their culture is. You can't tell them how to live the values. It's something that that happens organically from, you know, uh, from within the organization. But what is really important is what I'm hearing is that from a leadership perspective, we have to have unification. We have to have the same sort of maybe not the same sort of communication style per se, but we're saying the same things and we're acting the same way because with that piece, you know, that's when I feel in my experience that I've seen is perceived unfairness or, you know, it's the, the water cooler talk. There's a a more allowances for that as well, or there's disconnect. Um, And then which also impedes trust. So I definitely feel like you have a lot of those building blocks in place. And it's been really advantageous to see, you know, from an EQ side perspective, how these things are are really being lived and and breathed in the, in the smaller scale perspective of of everyday stuff. Said said so much more astutely than I did. It's lovely. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's you. why you're the professional. <laughs> um, listen, Brian, I could really chat with you for days on ends about this stuff. This is fantastic. Um, but before we go for our listenership, yeah. can you tell us where to find you and where people can get more info about this wonderful company alive? Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so our website is uh, is alive.com. So that's mm-hmm. a beautiful URL that makes it really easy for everybody. Yes. Um, on a personal level, I'm very open, but uh, my Instagram is a is a great place to to find me from a personal and professional level because I believe those two things should marry together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm at Ryan D. Ben. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's David. So Ryan D. Ben uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram is a great place. Uh, I'm pretty open book. So anybody can reach out to me anytime they want if they want to chat more if they want to learn more about Alive. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, my pleasure, Ryan. Take good care. Thanks, Ange. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting? Explore the Whole Person Leadership Cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.